Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring TMA with Nick Hamilton, Extra Dose. This is TMA with Nick Hamilton. Wake your goat mouth ass up. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what this is coming down through the audience, but look like he just came out of the basement. TMA with Nick Hamilton. You know what I'm saying? Thank you because because now. Now we bring on our buddy Nick Hamilton. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of TMA with Nick Hamilton here on Sirius XM Slam Radio 145. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be on this planet. Hope all is well with everybody. Hope everybody had a good weekend and a great start to the new week. Yes, it is 420. So I'm sure everybody that participates in the 420 is ecstatic and been anticipating this day for pretty much since January 1st. <laughs> so everybody, please be safe out there. Enjoy yourselves. Uh, be responsible. And uh, again, happy 420 to everybody out there. Uh, we'll be getting into a lot of different topics today on this episode of the show. We're getting into some NBA and some Clippers talk. Also, we we'll also we will also be getting into Major League Baseball and what's going on with the Dodgers, the Padres, the Yankees, the Angels, COVID-19. Will it continue to dominate and have an effect on the Major League Baseball season? All that and more here on TMA with Nick Hamilton. Now, first and foremost, a legend and Nike finally part ways. What I mean by that is it was reported on Monday that the estate of the late great Kobe Bryant and Nike, uh, their contract has expired as of April the 13th of this year, uh, according to uh, Kobe's late wife, uh, excuse me, Kobe's wife, I I should say, uh, Vanessa Bryant. She says, quote, Kobe and Nike have made some of the most beautiful basketball shoes of all time, worn and adored by fans and athletes in sports across the globe. It seems fitting that more NBA players wear my husband's product than any other signature shoe, end quote. She's absolutely right in that. The Kobe Bryant shoe is definitely legendary from the moment he signed with Nike after leaving Adidas back in the early 2000s uh, to wear the Kobe Bryant shoe is now, and he had an unprecedented deal with Nike. Everybody uh, looked at LeBron James and LeBron James is obviously lifetime deal with Nike is definitely something to be respected, but had it not been for Kobe Bryant and his deal and the way he orchestrated his deal, there are a lot of guys that kind of fell in line with that type of situation, whether it was LeBron James, whether it was Kevin Durant, whoever else is in the Nike family. Uh, obviously, we know the popularity of the Jordan shoe. We all know Michael Jordan has been a pioneer when it comes to the Nike brand and what he's done for that for that brand. And even the Jordan brand, which is distributed through Nike, you know, and what that has said. I mean, Jordan shoes were forever, forever, no matter what the generation is, they will forever be revered and will, will uh, I won't say have the same impact because once the shoe comes out for the very first time, it's nothing like that very first time. I know they have a lot of colorways and the same thing they did with the, with the, the Kobe shoe. They had a lot of different colorways. They had a lot of different uh, variations of the shoe um, from the Kobe fours to the Kobe sixes recently the Grinch, the Kobe six Grinch shoes uh, that were originally released in 2010 were re-released uh, sometime last year. 
And those shoes are still selling like hotcakes. I mean, remember when Kanye was with Nike and you and y'all remember the, the hunt for Red October. And those shoes are still selling to this day. And Kanye is with Adidas. That's how legendary those Nike kicks are. And the same thing is going to happen with Kobe Bryant. This, the same exact thing. Now, whether they decide uh, to maybe renegotiate a, at a later date with Nike or decide to go somewhere else, they're actually free to go uh, and take his his the name, the Mamba name, which is owned by the estate of Kobe Bryant. But the logo that you see on the tongue is a joint venture. So basically what that means is it's owned by the estate of Kobe Bryant and it's also owned by Nike. So I don't know how that's going to work out moving forward. But personally, I think Nike creates some of the best shoes out there. And I'm a shoe head. And I've seen some cool Pumas. Like I like the, I like the 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 Puma, some of the Puma styles, um, the J. Cole Pumas. I think they're pretty dope. Um, I do like some of the Adidas kicks uh, that have come out as of late. I think Adidas has really done an outstanding job rebranding their uh, their style and what they represent, uh, knowing that they're not going to beat Nike, but they come out with their own style and their own flavor. And they've been able to ingratiate uh, the pop culture as well as the, the athletes and the, and the shoe heads. And I think they've done a really great job. Nike is always going to be Nike. Nike's always going to be top dog. No matter what people say, no matter what athletes they may sign up or pass on, they're still going to be top dog because they're the leaders in the shoe game, period. Some people may agree with me. Some people may disagree, and that's fine. That's just my own personal take. But when it comes to, you know, the Kobe Bryant brand and the Kobe Bryant shoe, most importantly, man, those shoes were selling out like crazy. Like, it was hard as hell. I know a lot of y'all may listening may can, can really agree with me on this when I say this. Those shoes were one of the hardest shoes to come by when they did the whole Mamba week. Y'all remember the Mamba week when they had shoes coming out damn near every day for that week and how hard they were to get. And if you didn't get them, you're going to pay two, three, four, five times the price of the original retail. And when they first uh, dropped during that Mamba week. And that's something that Vanessa Bryan was complaining about because she had heard it from so many fans that wanted to purchase the shoe that were fans and supporters of her late husband, the fact that she even came out and made a statement publicly, which I had the ultimate respect for because she didn't have to do that. She could have just said, oh, well, hey, that's Nike, that's on them. Hey, fans, get it, get it, get it how you live. But she didn't do that. She took it a step further and used her platform and used her voice to say, no, I'm gonna represent for the fans because these fans supported you know, her husband throughout many years, ups and downs, smiles and frowns. So I respect Vanessa Bryant for doing what she did as far as speaking up and, and willing to reach out to the reps at Nike to say, look, you guys need to create more shoes and more volume of shoes because there are people out here that are willing to spend the money and we all were willing to spend the money on those shoes. Those, especially those of us that were, were real shoe heads, not these flippers and these, re, you know, these resellers. I don't really respect a lot of these resellers. That's all they want to do is just buy these shoes and then flip them for a higher price. And I'm not mad at the fact that people want to flip them and make money off of them. But when you start buying a, a bulk of the inventory 
and it leaves us out in the cold those of us that are shoe heads those of us that want to represent and buy the, the, a pair of kicks um you know that they put out by kobe you know that's the thing that pisses me off and i know it pissed a lot of people off too but the one thing i will say is that vanessa has been adamant about fighting for her husband's legacy and making sure that he is well represented you know when he was when he was here and now that he's no longer here and so i have a tremendous amount of respect and the strength that woman continues to show is remarkable um and so she's you know she also she made an interesting comment too she said quote my hope will always to be to oh, excuse me my hope will always be to allow kobe's fans to get and wear his products i will continue to fight for that kobe's products sell out in seconds that says everything I was hoping to forge a lifelong partnership with Nike that reflects my hu my husband's legacy. We will always do everything we can to honor Kobe and Gigi's legacies. That will never change, end quote. She's absolutely right. She's speaking the truth. There's nothing in that in those comments that's not accurate. She's always been fighting for his legacy ever since his untimely death back in January of 2020. She's been fighting for it ever since. Whether it's been on the legal front when it comes to the privacy uh, against those sheriff's deputy officers that you know shared those, uh, uh, those photos, which was in really poor taste and really just total disrespect, uh, to whether it's dealing with his apparel, uh, dealing with Nike. And so I don't understand why Nike doesn't just do the right thing and I understand it's negotiations. I, I don't, I'm not familiar with all the business moves behind the scenes. But I would think if you're the Nike brand and knowing how legendary Kobe Bryant was and is, even, even to this day, something would tell me to make amends and to do the best thing for business. Because let me tell you something. If you continue to produce his shoes, you know how much more revenue you're going to get from fans like myself and others that want to buy his shoes anytime you guys drop his shoes or retro his shoes i mean come on you can even create a whole total different shoe that we've never seen before and drop those and people are going to eat them up like there's no tomorrow so i don't understand nike's you know mentality again i don't know the the, the business dealings that went on behind the scenes maybe it was obviously it was a money situation, but it also could be this, as far as where the where she feels like the apparel and where the shoes should be in comparison to where everybody else is on the Nike roster. I don't know. Um, but the interesting part about it is, um, you know, they felt like Nike failed. Kobe Bryant. We all we all heard the rumor that Nike, uh, excuse me, that Kobe was allegedly trying to leave Nike uh, before he passed away because he wasn't happy with what the way Nike was advertising and representing for him. And that's true because no shoe outside of the Jordan shoe was selling as fast as Kobe's shoe. And I like LeBron's shoe. Like the LeBron shoes are pretty dope, but they weren't selling as fast as Kobe's. And that's no knock on LeBron. That's just what it is. Same thing with the Kevin Durant shoe. Kevin, there was there was some some dope series of shoes from Kevin Durant, but they weren't selling like Kobe shoe. 
So if you're Nike, you just gonna let Kobe <laughs> walk? Because there are other shoe brands that will definitely listen to Vanessa Bryant and will give Vanessa Bryant with probably pretty much whatever she wants. I mean, there's Puma who's on to come up. There's Adidas who where Kobe was originally that who he originally signed with when he first started his basketball career. And they've evolved tremendously from the time that he was there to where they are right now. So hopefully this, this situation could be resolved. She, like I said, she's free to go wherever she wants to go. Um, if she decides to, you know, go with Nike, uh, you know, they decide to renegotiate and, and sit back at the table or if she decides to go to Puma or Adidas. Hey, man, Kobe's shoes are going to sell. As long as they look right, that's my only concern. Because one thing I can say about the designers at Nike, they do put out some pretty dope shoes. But I've also seen some dope kicks from Adidas. And I've also, again, I've also seen some dope kicks out of Puma. So it'll be very interesting to see moving forward what happens with the Kobe Bryant brand. And uh, from my understanding, I believe Nike will continue to move his shoes throughout the year of 2021. And then after that, it's pretty much a wrap. So we'll see what happens moving forward. But if you don't have the Kobe Bryant shoes now, you better get them now because they're going to go up in price and they're going to be jacked up in price, especially since he's no longer with Nike. If you ain't got the Grinches, you better go get them now. Whatever Nike shoe, excuse me, Kobe Bryant shoe from Nike that you want to get, you better go get them now. Because I'm telling you, in about two or three months, they're going to skyrocket, much like we see the Yeezys, the Hunt for Red October skyrocket. So we'll keep on top of the story. We'll keep you uh, up to date on what's happening. And uh, hopefully we'll find out at some point where the Kobe Bryant shoe would land, what home it would land on. All right, y'all, coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to be talking some NBA basketball and about the Los Angeles Clippers, especially, along with the Lakers, the Western Conference, and who is the favorite coming out of the East with my next guest. You're checking out TMA with Nick Hamilton here on Sirius XM, Slam Radio 145. Make sure you stay tuned. Yo, what's up? Baby, let's go. This is Tua Tungle by Lloyd. Yo, Sway Calloway. This is Spice Adams. This is Michael, the playmaker everywhere. What's up? This is Grok, and you're listening to Slam, Slam Radio. Radio. Serious XM. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to TMA with Nick Hamilton here on Serious XM, Slam Radio 145. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Nick Hamilton LA. You can also follow me on Twitter at Nick Hamilton 213. Now, the NBA is about less than probably 12 to 15 games remaining in the regular season as we are heading home into that final stretch before that playoff run. And to break some things down when it, in regards to the NBA, especially in the Western Conference, because the Western Conference is locked and loaded. I have a very special guest, a gentleman that covers the Clippers through and through, does an excellent job for the athletic. He's also been featured on uh, ESPN, Fox Sports, and other platforms you've seen him all over the world seen him all over the globe he's the one and only law murray what's going on law how you doing man i'm doing well nick thank you for having me today hey man thanks for coming on so I, I, as we already know the, the los angeles clippers uh, uh on sunday pretty much demolished uh the minnesota timberwolves which was no surprise there uh but the the, the bigger thing to me was the fact that 
Paul George did not get that 30-point streak continued uh, when he had six uh, six games straight of 30-point, of 30-plus point games, I should say. And then also Kawhi Leonard was two assists shy of his second career triple-double. So when you look at those numbers and you look at those factors, what does it say about this team, especially those two individuals and the impact that they've had on this franchise? I mean, when those two teams, when those two guys play together in the same game, this is a team that wins three out of four games on average. You know, that is, I mean, it, they're, they're the best duo in the league as far as the impact that they have on a on, on the scoreboard when they're on the floor together. Uh, that's an objective fact. That's not me uh, having any kind of opinion one way or the other on how good Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have been or could be. Like, that's just what the numbers are. When they're on the floor together, give them a certain amount of minutes compared to the whole league, they're the best duo in the league. And they make their impact on both ends of the floor. Paul George didn't get to extend his 30-point streak because they beat the Timberwolves so damn bad that he wasn't needed (laughs) for the fourth quarter of a game. Kawhi Leonard didn't get the triple-double because he didn't need to play in the fourth quarter. Like, when you have guys chilling, you know, when you can manufacture your own load management by not playing in the fourth quarter of what's supposed to have been a competitive game. Look, man, score is 0-0 when the game starts. It wasn't like that by the end of the third quarter. So uh, that's how good these guys are. These guys hadn't even played together in the same game in 10 days. So to come back, I mean, it wasn't either one of their best games. The team is just so good, and those guys are so good on both ends of the floor, the impact that they can have that if you call slipping and the Timberwolves – they started the game fine in the first quarter, but you know they went on a Clippers went on a thirty to thirty two to twelve run in the second quarter. Followed that up with a thirty to ten run in the third quarter. That's the definition of slipping, Nick, and that was it. Yeah, slipping like a bad transmission. I always say when you when you when you have a team like that that is so good on both both ends of the floor. Uh, and you talked about Kawhi. Obviously, he had missed the last four games due to a sore foot. He made his return. When you and everybody talks about the offense, and we know how spectacular the offense has been for this team, but what have you seen defensively from this team that's really uh, opened your eyes and really had a new, maybe like a new respect for this team when it comes to their defense? Going into the All Star break, it was really concerning how bad the pick and roll defense was, how often they would allow small guards to go off, uh, how often they just gave up points in the paint, you know, the easy buckets. I thought Paul George provided some great insight following the Sunday's game about winning the small battles, you know, transition, second chance points, stuff like that. When they went to Philadelphia and they lost, they allowed the Sixers to outscore them 21 to six on second chance scoring opportunities. And when you understand how close that game was in the end, you only lost by three points. You had, you know, a shot at the end that could have extended the game. You can understand it's the small things that can decide these games. Sometimes they have the attention to detail to not repeat mistakes, Nick. So we just talk about second chance points in Philadelphia and how they were on the wrong end of that. They outscored the Timberwolves 23 to one in second chance points in Sunday's game. That is that. First of all, that's a veteran team. That's a, that's accountability. That's when, you know, if a coaching staff or the players themselves, they see a deficiency, they address it right away in the form of an opportunity that comes in a game setting. And 
it's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to practice it. It's another thing to apply it and execute and be consistent. And it's just been consistency defensively. They've been so much better with their interior defense. They've already had the core tenets of not allowing a lot of threes, uh, just getting back on defense consistently. That was another thing that the team talked about being better at post-All-Star break. All those little things have they've they've added up. They've ad, they've added up and it's shown in the improvement of uh, of the defense overall. Now, when you look at Rajon Rondo, a lot of fans were kind of excited about getting Rajon Rondo because we, we've seen what he's done in his career as far as with the Boston Celtics. Obviously, last season with the L.A. Lakers as they captured their title. And now you got a chance to trade uh, for Rajon Rondo. I know it's been things have been kind of slow with Rondo as far as, you know, him being that person that we were accustomed to seeing. But what have you seen from Rondo that's made the biggest impact on this team thus far? Well, and and Nick, I think you did a great job asking the kind of question that kind of uh, allowed players like Paul George to kind of touch on the improvement. Uh, you know, Paul said to you yesterday that the communication is key. I don't think you can look at Rajon Rondo's raw stats and be satisfied or or think that that's going to be his uh, primary impact, especially on this particular team when you have so many pieces, so many mouths that can be fed, not necessarily that need to be fed, right? So with what I've seen from Rajan is he's, he's active in terms of his voice. He's active in terms of applying the knowledge that he's accumulated over 15 NBA seasons and so many notable postseasons into uh, heightened awareness, raising the floor of the guys that not only he shares the floor with, not only the guys on the bench who may or may not play in a given moment, a given game, but the coaching staff. He's been literally like an assistant coach on the floor. And I mean, that was a joke at first, but it's it's real. Like the impact is real. They've lost one game since uh, with him on the floor since they traded for him. And that was the loss in Philadelphia. And Rondo had a positive impact in that game, too. You know, he helped lead a comeback. They were down 20 to three when that game started Friday night in Philadelphia. They had it again. They had a chance to win that game in the end. So. The impact with Rondo is he's an incredible passer still. Uh, he is a selective driver. He can hit an open three. I think the Phoenix Suns found that out in the fourth quarter earlier this month. <laughs> right. You know? um, and he's an opportunistic defender. He not only knows what you're doing, but if you are sloppy with the ball, he can still make a play on the ball. Uh, he He's really had a really nice impact, and he's not even supposed to make the impact now, Nick. It's supposed to be playoff Rondo. So we're going to hopefully see that translate next month. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you look at this team, too, obviously they've been nursing some injuries. They haven't, as you said uh, earlier, they haven't been able to play as a cohesive unit for the entire season because they've battled some injuries. And most importantly, the injuries of Serge Ibaka, uh, who's been out for quite some time now. Obviously, Pat Beverly, who came back and then went back, unfortunately, on injury. But how different will how different rather will this team be with the return of Serge Ibaka and a Patrick Beverly? Bev is a known commodity, and I was I've I've had an opportunity to discuss his injury and and what he's been dealing with really all season. And this is a silver lining. It's similar to the Lakers with LeBron and AD, where. LeBron and AD not playing because of injury might lead to some short-term rockiness when they get back and get reacclimated. But at the same time, they're known commodities. 
they they know what it takes and ultimately the lack of minutes that they've accumulated will probably help them in the long run with bev he's been dealing with a sore right knee so now he's dealing with a, a hand fracture you should be able to can get your conditioning without having as many minutes that comes in a game setting right you can protect yourself a little bit and the hope is that he can do what he did earlier this month when he was ready to play after a 26-day layoff they stuck him right back in the starting lineup and he made an impact against the trailblazers and dame lillard against the Suns and chris ball like you know what you're getting out of bev and hopefully he can get back uh before the end of the regular season abaka is a little bit murkier because in his absence if it's a Zubats has really established himself as an improved version of the player that we kind of saw in a limited dosage last year as a starter. So the question will be one, when the heck is Serge getting back? It's been a month. It's been the longest injury layoff that the team has had from a standard contract player all season. It gets to be a concern. Uh, it doesn't seem like the team or Serge is particularly concerned about it. He's all every time you see Serge on social, he looks like he's in good spirits. Anytime you ask Ty Lue or any of the players about Serge, they're not having any ominous things to say. They feel like he's progressing. Do they need him right now? No. Is Serge a good teammate who can come off the bench or start? Yes, he is. He has a good rapport with a lot of guys. He knows what it takes to win the championship, but it will be interesting nonetheless to see if he starts or comes off the bench. He'll make an impact. Uh, it's just not I'm just not sure how to couch it uh, in terms of does he improve the offense? Does he improve the team significantly? It's it'll be great to have him back, but guys are playing well in his absence anyway. Yeah, they are. I mean, they're really picking up the slack. And when they say next man up, I mean, we look at Luke Kennard, we look at Terrence Mann, um, you know, guys like that have really stepped up and really flourished in their roles. But when you look at this Clippers team overall, I mean, they, they're right now they're still a, a top four uh, team in the Western Conference. But Top three. Yeah, top, top three. Cleanly. Top, yeah, top three, top four. But, I mean, really in that in that first tier, though, as far as them not having to, to really go – uh, fall into like the fifth, sixth, seventh seed, obviously, when you got to do those play-in games. But when you look at this Clippers team overall, who, in your estimation, is the biggest threat to this team in the Western Conference during the playoffs? Can I say the Clippers? Wow. <laughs> I mean, let's be real, man. Like, the Clippers have shown they can beat every single team in the West. Um, and, like, I don't even mean this. I'm I'm not from LA, so I don't need to really mess with the generational impact that uh, if you're a Clippers fan or, or someone who dislikes that team uh, for whatever reason you can come up with. Like I don't. I'm I'm really kind of prone. I'm not prone to any of that stuff. Like just take it in a vacuum. They can beat anybody. They can probably lose to anybody. Uh, it's it's a matter of themselves. Like, that's their biggest threat. I think that's really the approach that they need to have, that the expectation is you're going to have to go through three teams in your own conference to get to the finals, and then you got to beat the other team that comes out the opposite conference to win a championship. So, I mean, they shouldn't really look at any of the other teams in the West and be like, uh, we don't want to face them. Like, I don't think the Clippers have that attitude. Uh, they shouldn't have that attitude, but they should also have enough respect for the league and for the other teams in the conference that uh, those teams are looking at them and, and can beat them too. So it's, it all, it really, the Clippers have to worry about themselves. And I think they've done a good job of focusing on just themselves this year. 
Has Denver lost momentum without the services of Jamal Murray, or is, or should teams really still play them as tough as they would if Jamal Murray was still on the floor? Yeah, you better play the Nuggets as tough as they 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 would if they had Jamal, because for two reasons. Number one, I don't know if people remember, but the Nuggets were shorthanded in the bubble last year too, especially when they got into the bubble. So I think everyone needs to just understand. If you got you're going to have five on five basketball. These games are tied when they start. Nick. So like does hurting Jamal, does it hurt that Jamal is not going to be there yet? Like uh, I think we all wanted to see Jamal uh, build on the run that he had last year when, you know, the Clippers weren't the other only team to blow a three one lead in the playoffs last year. The Utah Jazz blew a three one lead before the Clippers did. No one brings that same energy. And it was because of Jamal. Jamal was better against the Jazz than he was against the Clippers. He had 50, you know, facing elimination. <laughs> you know, everybody was emotional in the bubble last year for one reason or another. A lot of it had to do with the experience of being, uh, you know, a person of color, you know, in this in this world, in this country, right? right. And Jamal brought a lot of he, – he, he was incredibly inspirational with his performance in that series, right? So you got to just remember, like, they were missing Gary Harris for most of that first-round series. They missed Will Barton, the guy who starts for them now a guy that they paid to start uh, the, the entire bubble run, right? Uh, you got to respect that team. But then there's reason number two, and that is Jamal's not this team's MVP candidate. Nikola Jokic is. Nikola Jokic is still a guy who, you know, give him the ball anywhere on the floor and he can bully you in the post. He can shoot the three or the mid-range over you. Or if you commit guys, or even if you don't, he's such a good passer, he finds cutters. He's got elite cutters, and he can now pick and choose either side with Michael Porter Jr. or Aaron Gordon. They have they have a good coaching staff. Like they the, the Nuggets are not going to have the same ceiling because Jamal is out. But now you can't worry about that. If you're the Nuggets, you're basically saying – who is going to be on the postseason roster? Who's going to be playing? And what kind of team do we have from there? And that's, to me, Nick, I think that's still a pretty damn good team. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're going to be fierce competitors in the playoffs. But when I also, there's another team I want to talk to you about as well. Uh, across the hall, you mentioned earlier about the L.A. Lakers and the return of LeBron James and A.D. at some point, uh, hopefully before the season ends. And one thing that stood out to me that you said is the fact of, basically and i'm paraphrasing just the rust of them coming back and being able to gel together because now you have an andre drummond uh you have you know kyle kuzma you have guys like that you know dennis Schroeder. how do you see this laker team reforming and and how do how well do you think this laker team is going to perform in the playoffs especially uh with ad and, and lebron coming back i mean look man they just, they're they're the defending champs for one uh, for two, they're they're a team that I know they do they do a lot of their own like they they find a lot of sources of motivation. A lot of them like if there was another market, they wouldn't be able to get away with. But uh, because they're the Lakers, because they're the defending champs, like you know, again, you talk about known commodities. Like you're not really tripping about AD and Bron. So because they've won uh, t last year anyway, because they won. Um, it was probably going to be a disadvantage if those dudes stayed healthy. You know, if you think about it, if they would have stayed healthy, you're talking about racking up all these minutes in a West that they might not have gotten the number one seed anyway. Right. Then you're going into the playoffs and you're talking about the odometer being a factor. Now, 
we're talking about the same thing we were talking about going into the bubble last year. Like the Lakers in those seeding games, those eight seeding games, they looked horrible, especially offensively, especially shooting the ball. And they gave a lot of us thought that, hmm, maybe they might get tripped up by a team that's playing better than them right now. And, And they lost game one to the Blazers, and then they beat the Blazers from there. They lost game one to the Rockets beat the Rockets from there. And then after a while, you saw the field kind of, you know, significantly filter out, you know, things got watered down and it's like, well, I guess the Lakers go and win the championship. It's the same thing here. If you go and beat the Lakers, you might, you might want to beat them early while they're still figuring out Andre Drummond, while they're still getting Braun back up to speed, while Anthony Davis is still figuring things out. Anthony hasn't played up to the level that he played last year, all year. You can't say that for Braun. Braun has been playing great. Uh, when he sprained his ankle. So, like, you better figure it out early because the longer that they're in it, the better that they're probably going to be. Absolutely. Last thing before I let you get on out of here, man, the Eastern Conference, we know we see the Brooklyn Nets. It seems like they're falling falling away at the seams. You have the Philadelphia 76ers, the Boston Celtics. seem like they're trying to find their, their stride. You still have the Miami Heat. Who comes out the East for you? I think it's still the Nets. Uh, that's the team that I had at the beginning of the season when we thought that James Harden might join them at some point, but it was not a certainty, right? And it wasn't a certainty because you didn't know what Daryl Morey was going to do as the personnel executive with the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, were they going to commit assets, you know, like Ben Simmons to trade for James and and kind of get ahead of the Nets there? Ultimately, the Sixers are banking on the polar opposite of what the Nets are. The Nets are banking on talent, figuring it out at a late hour. The Sixers are banking on, we got young guys who really want to play, who are really good, and keeping the chemistry of a team formed by Doc Rivers, who people in this market are very familiar with and what he's capable of and whatever shortcomings that Doc has. Like It's going to be really great to see who comes out of the East. I think it's going to wind up being the Nets strictly because I think they're the most talented and that they have the hardest, um, they, the hardest combination of guys that you have to stop. Uh, I think they can figure out their defense in a postseason setting. But it's going to be a movie out there in the East. And I like people really shouldn't be tripping about like the East is going to be fun because beyond the Nets, behind the Sixers, you mentioned the Bucks, the Heat, the Celtics. Like it's going to be it's it's going to be a Eastern Conference postseason that we really haven't seen before. It's going to be fascinating. I, I think it's going to be the Nets, but it's going to be tough to see how they get it done. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to definitely be fun to see who comes out of it and meet whoever they're going to meet in the West. It's going to be very, very interesting, man. Let me say this before we get on out of here. I just want to commend you, man, for all of your hard work. I've watched you grind for many years, man, and it's great to see you with the athletic and seeing you really be able to flourish and showcase your skills and your your intellect as far as the game of basketball is concerned and the great reporting that you continue to do. So I just want to say hats off to you, Law, and uh, keep up the great work, man. Before we get on out of here, please let everyone know where they continue to keep up with you and all your fine work this season. Hey man, I appreciate that, Nick. I've been I've been watching you and and getting to see you for years as well. Uh, and you're an inspirational force here. You know, a, a, a black man uh, building up so much versatility in terms of covering so many of these teams out here. So uh, try and be try and be like you, man. Uh, and I mean that. Uh, I'm at Law Murray the New. That's Law Murray the N U uh, on all the social media platforms and 
yeah, follow me, follow The Athletic. Uh, we really out here trying to do the best uh, consistently. Absolutely, man. I, I appreciate the kind words. Thank you so much. And also make sure you guys subscribe to The Athletic as well for all the inside content, especially Log breaks down a lot of different things. That you, If you're a Clipper fan or NBA fan, you definitely want to tap in and tune in to what Law has to say. He has a lot to say, but it ain't for, the game ain't for free. So make sure you guys, you guys go ahead and subscribe uh, to The Athletic. All right, y'all. Coming up on the other side of the break, we go, we'll be right back. We'll talk about a few topics uh, that I will expose after the break. You're listening to TMA with Nick Hamilton here on Sirius XM, Slam Radio 145. Make sure you stay tuned. This is Sirius XM 145, Slam Radio. Ladies and gents, welcome back to TMA with Nick Hamilton here on Sirius XM Slam Radio 145. Make sure you hit me up on Instagram at Nick Hamilton LA and hit me up on Twitter at Nick Hamilton 213. Also, make sure you subscribe to me and download and subscribe, I should say, to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash NH Experience TV for all the latest and greatest in the world of sports and pop culture. All right, y'all. So baseball season has been very, very interesting, even though we haven't even hit the quarter mark of the baseball season. But yet some teams are doing extremely well. Some teams just downright suck. Uh, to break it all down and try to give some insight and provide some perspective to what the hell is going on with the Los Angeles Dodgers as well as the Padres, the New York Yankees, and what the hell happened over the weekend with the Angels and the Minnesota Twins. And all that and more, to break it down, we have Chris Camello from Nightcast Media, baseball extraordinaire hey man uh dodgers padres now one thing i mean it was a great series i mean whoever stayed up friday night for that 12 game the 12 inning thriller and then also saturday with that award-winning to me sb award-winning catch uh and then sunday's matchup between blake snell who i like to call thanos and uh the avengers better known as the dodgers led by trevor bauer uh my question is why the hell wasn't the Dodgers and the Padres on Sunday night baseball instead of an afternoon game? That's a great question. And that was the one thing I was thinking about myself. But, you know, clearly uh, clearly the Braves and the Cubs appeals to a more of a national audience, man. And that game was over by the end of that half inning. Kyle Hendricks gives up six runs. And at least the Dodgers, <laughs> Padres were able to come back in the later innings and win it in the eighth inning and, and close it out in the ninth. So, you're right. They should they should have swapped that out. And I was really surprised. I'm like, the Dodgers Padres getting no national coverage this weekend, and it just was really baffling. But once again, man, East Coast and Midwest bias over the West Coast, and people are trying to pigeonhole the Cubs and the Braves. And it's like Cubs are barely gonna be lucky to make the playoffs this year. I had a friend tell me he's like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Cubs finish in last place. But yet they deserve prime time on Sunday night on ESPN. Go figure, man. But yeah, it was a it was a very thrilling series. I mean, Nick, I've been watching baseball my whole life, and I've always kind of slept in April on the regular season in baseball. But that was one of the great regular season games. I mean, it had everything. When you have Mookie Betts being struck out by a position player and David Price closing it out and getting an RBI in the same game, you know you've watched something special. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even talking to uh, Dave Roberts, talking to Justin Turner, they all echoed, hey, this is it felt like a playoff type of atmosphere, even though it's still in the regular season. Wouldn't quite consider it a rivalry, which I agree with them. I don't think it's a rivalry 
the rivalry would always be the San Francisco Giants against the L.A. Dodgers, no different than the Red Sox and the Yankees or Ohio State and Michigan, uh, for that matter, or Texas, Oklahoma. Um, it will always, no matter how bad or how great those teams may be when they meet, one team is always going to get up for the other. It's just how it goes. It's just what it is. Boston, you know what I mean? Excuse me, the Celtics and Lakers, no matter how bad the Lakers may look, no matter how bad the Celtics may look, they're all going to get up for each other because of that long-standing rivalry. And to me, I think it's more competitive. I think it's better for baseball when you have a team like the Padres, when you have a team like the L.A. Dodgers coming off a championship, uh, when you have other teams in the league, especially in the Western on the Western side of things. I think it's a hell of a lot better for baseball. And I, and I don't understand the ESPNs, or, or let me not say just ESPN, but Major League Baseball, not being able to flip that game and saying, hey, okay, Braves, Cubs, you take the afternoon slot. Dodgers, Padres, you're going to take the 5.05 slot uh, right. Pacific time, and you're going to take the, the, you know, the nighttime slot. And so yeah, no, that, was, that was mind-boggling to me. It was. And actually, come to think of it, there was, th- those games were nationally televised, but on MLB Network. So I'm sure they cut a deal where, it's, where ESPN probably takes a portion of – you know, because remember, they, they meet 19 times this year. So I'm right. sure as well as Fox, they got their share of them. But you're right. Yeah. First series in San Diego. There was a lot of fans there. It felt like a normal play, you know, and you mentioned like a playoff atmosphere. Um, it definitely should have been on ESPN. But MLB Network clearly were like, hey, we got dibs on the first series. Yeah. Great. <laughs> How'd that work out? How'd that work out? That's all I said. I I, I mean, again, that was a great series. You knew it was going to be a great series just because of what these two teams did in the offseason. And even Dave Roberts mentioned, hey, you know what? The Padres kind of mimic what we were doing. We were kind of mimicking what they were doing. Okay, you got Blake Snell. Okay, now we're going to counter that with Trevor Bauer. Uh, and we want to make sure that now we have all of our arms healthy, including David Price, who's been sensational last week. Uh, as you mentioned, the RBI plus the save, and then you and he pitched well on Jackie Robinson Day, right behind uh, uh, another Cy Young Award winner. So, again, these are the these are the times where I look at this Dodgers team, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, I, I know last year's team was was sensational because obviously they won the championship, but I think this year's team to me is probably the most complete Dodger team that we've seen in a very long time. Yeah, I, I, I believe it is. Uh, you talked about getting David Price back. What a luxury that was. He opted out of the 2020 season for health reasons. And, uh, you know, he got the ring and he did the right thing. He auctioned it off. And I think there was it was twofold. I think, one, he understood uh, the, the value of getting a ring. But also, two, he didn't have a lot to do with it. So I think he kind of felt like, you know what, I'm going to go a different direction. But to get somebody like that back who's now bought into this role of coming out of the bullpen as a middle reliever, long reliever, or now we're starting to see him in the later innings. It's been a wonderful uh, transition for him. It's been a little bumpy at times, but certainly a guy that if he buys in and, and really starts getting his stuff together, you've already seen how good he can be. So you essentially now have Kenley Jansen, who could be a closer. You got Corey Kniebel, who's got experience in closing out games. He's looked really good up until Friday night's uh, performance where he gave up his first runs of the season. Now you have a guy like David Price who can get lefties out, who's got righties out, who's a gamer, who's tough. And yeah, his first week was not, was less than impressive, but you're transitioning to a new role. 
and you didn't pitch for a whole year. So you got to you got to give a guy time. But this was a team that won a World Series and then signed Trevor Bauer, the reigning NL Cy Young Award winner, and he has looked sharp. He should be 4-0 right now. Unfortunately, he's uh, pitched those two games that he pitched uh, where the Dodgers lost. It was on the bullpen, including Sunday, Sunday afternoon's uh, debacle. The bullpen has still been a little bit of a concern for me. At times, they've looked great. At other times, they haven't. This series, Nick, the starting pitchers, Bueller, Kershaw, and Bauer combined, three earned runs. The bullpen over three games, eight earned runs. Eight. Yeah, that, that bullpen is definitely continues to be suspect, but I'm going to give it benefit of the doubt because I think it's still young in the season. I think they're still trying to figure things out. But when I spoke with Trevor Bauer on Sunday, and you know Trevor Bauer is probably the biggest critic of them all when it comes to his performances, uh, where he lacks, where he where he felt like he was good enough, or he where he lacked. And it was it was interesting because I asked him. I said, you know, beyond his comfort level as far as fitting into the organization, fitting into the rotation, and he said, you know, his comfort level was good. Um, he felt like the Dodgers organization kind of just welcomed him, made him fit right in, along with Dave Roberts and the, and the pitching staff and things of that nature. But he said, you know, I did okay. Um, I don't think I did good. I don't think I did great. And I was just like, wow, really? And then you just give wow. off the stats that you just you just named right now. And I'm like, I'm looking at Trevor Bauer kind of like, dude, this is what makes him such a competitive winner because he's never settling for nothing, for anything less than what he feels is his best. Right. And that is the true, the, the true heart of a champion, dare I say, Mamba mentality. Uh, as far as him wanting to excel and be the best of the best creme de la creme on that mound. And I'm saying, man, if you think you're just okay now, wait till we get near the the, the all-star break and then the second half of the season. How much better will this guy be in your estimation if he's just saying he's okay right now based upon what we've seen thus far? Oh, man, he the sky's the limit for him. And he's accomplished already in a short time. He hasn't been in the league that long. I want to say he's maybe done five or six full seasons. And he's already pitched in the World Series with the 2016 Cleveland Indians. He's won a Cy Young Award. He's been in the playoffs numerous times. What's missing? The hardware. So he's keeping himself up to a high standard. And as odd as this comment may be of about Trevor Bauer, he's still in a contract year. When you really think about it, he's got an option for 2022. So he understands that if he shows out this year and is a big part of the Dodgers winning another championship, he could hit the market, not only get the money that he desires, but also the years as well. And, and we all know in recent years, the years has been the thing for, for all free agents that it's like, yeah, money is nice, but I'm not, I don't, I want that long-term security. We've seen it with Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, all of those guys. So yeah, Bauer's been sensational so far. I, I'm starting to get used to his personality. I know a lot of people don't like him. They, they've criticized him for things that he's tweeted out about baseball. He's under this investigation right now for doctoring the baseball, which he called a bunch of, you know, a bunch of nonsense and buffoon right. that stuff. And he was basically calling out a, a very well-respected baseball journalist and Ken Rosenthal. So Trevor Bauer has no filter. He's got no fear. He's got a, I don't give a, you know what mentality. And to be quite honest, even, even if he wasn't a Dodger, I would say, you know what? I respect that because not every athlete is like that. Even in this day and age where more and more are speaking out about things, he is probably the one that's just like, Hey, this is who I am. Like me, hate me, whatever. This is who I am. 
And the bottom line is, Nick, as long as it's not a distraction to the guys on the field and in the clubhouse and he continues to be a professional and a good teammate, I don't really have a problem with it, with him or, or anything that he says. Man, I love Trevor Bauer. I love his personality. I love that he's out there. He's going to tell you like it is and not like it was. I love the team that he's with, with, with Rachel Luba, who's done an incredible job uh, as an agent. And so, listen, I'm all I'm here for Trevor Bauer. I love it. I hope he continues to get to, to pitch even better than he thinks he can pitch uh, because it's only going to provide dividends for the Dodgers moving forward. So I think it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to that Padres series because I like I like what the Padres have added as well with Blake Snell and you uh, Darvish and, and, and those guys. Yeah, I, I think I think, you know, with Fernando Tatis Jr., when you look at Manny Machado and those guys, I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun stretch in the NL West for sure oh. between the Padres and the Dodgers. Uh, still can't beat LA because the Dodgers did take the series. Uh, but I, I want to move. I want to move east really quick because the surprising team, the team who we thought was going to come out just as blazing as the Dodgers were, were the New York Yankees, and they they they've definitely crapped the bed when it comes to uh, what they've been up to in the last uh, in their first what fifteen games or so. And it's really been disappointing. But Brian Cashman said he's not going to overreact. He said he's not going to conform to, you know, what the fans uh, are saying or not saying. He's going to continue to, to, to stay the course. What are your thoughts on the New York Yankees? And are you surprised at what their record is currently? Uh, yeah, the, I, I think we all thought that the AL East was going to come down to the Yankees and probably the Blue Jays. We thought with all the changes that happened, especially to Tampa Bay's rotation, that they would take a step back. But when you get swept three games on your home field by a team that now probably feels like they got your number. They eliminated you last year uh, in the bubble in the uh, ALDS, and Tampa Bay looks sharp. I mean, no Snell, no Charlie Morton, no problem. They're still finding ways to win games. A lot of guys continue to step up for them. Uh, they, they added Chris Archer, Rich Hill, former Dodger, to their rotation, and they haven't really skipped a beat. The Yankees, to me, they're a little bit too one-dimensional. They, they rely too much on the home run ball. And I've been saying this about them for a long time. Bronx Bombers is great, but you got to find different ways to win. Even the Dodgers have found different ways to win. You know, manufacture runs, get guys on base, play station-to-station baseball. And the Yankees just have not done that. They are – one of the league's worst in strikeouts and on base percentage and slugging percentage. It just hasn't been there. And you would think a team that has a healthy Aaron Judge, a healthy Giancarlo Stanton, they gave $90 million to DJ LeMahieu, a guy I'm, I'm a huge fan of this past year. You still got Glaber Torres. You got Aaron Hicks. You got Gary Sanchez. Um, you got Luke Voigt back, who was hurt a lot of last year. So, And yet, this is, this is what they are. I think it's way too early to press the panic button, but it definitely is an eye-opener. Like, man, this division, we shouldn't give it to to the pinstripe crew yet because I tell you, the way the Jays have played, the way the Rays have played, uh, even Boston, uh, you know, got off to, a, you know, kind of a, a, a slow start, but they're starting to round into form a little bit. A team that we all thought was going to finish last. Uh, it's not going to be a cakewalk. So whatever is plaguing them, They've got to get they've got to get it in gear because that division is going to be more competitive than I think we thought. But it's too early to press the panic button. Definitely staying in the American League and not heading back out west with the Los Angeles Angels, who've definitely had a really good uh, tear as far as their their opening first few opening games have really been surprising when it comes to their opening games. But unfortunately, those games were halted in Anaheim over the weekend due to a COVID nineteen uh, tracing by a couple of the. Uh, per personnel inside the Minnesota Twins locker room. 
uh, which enabled the uh, Angels not to be able to play those two games against the Twins. I know when I got there, it was like, okay, we're going to have a great game. It's a great day for baseball. The sun is shining. The temperatures are warm. You know, the fans are moving back in. They're still getting accustomed to being back in the ballpark. And all of a sudden, the announcement gets made, hey, game is canceled. Uh, also, Sunday's game is canceled. Uh, do you see this being a problem uh, moving forward in MLB, much like how we saw last season uh, when MLB was, was getting started with the 60 games? Yeah, and we've already seen it. We're not even three weeks into the season, and we've already seen an outbreak with the Washington Nationals. We've, we've seen some cases now in Houston. A lot of their star players who are starting to come back this week, uh, guys like Alex Bregman and Jordan Alvarez and I think Jose Altuve. Uh, but now this situation with the Twins, it is a, it is a head-scratcher, and this is going to be something that baseball is going to have to deal with, where you saw – Remember last year, you saw teams like the St. Louis Cardinals and the Miami Marlins. Late in the year, they were playing the most games out of everyone because they had the most post postponements. So in order to make up for those games, you're playing more doubleheaders. You're playing more games in fewer days. And that could wear you down. And that's really going to hurt some of these teams that have to make up a lot of these games later in the season when you're trying to make that push to, to make a, a playoff run or try to clinch a spot or maybe even fight for the division. Who knows where some of these teams are going to be at. That could definitely be a, uh, that could have a, a lingering and, and potentially a negative effect. Cause now you're ru you're running on fumes and you're playing all these double headers. And while teams are starting to rest and get their teams together, that sets you up. Just look at the NBA. We're seeing more injuries right now, later in the season in the NBA because of this condensed schedule could have that same kind of effect on baseball. But uh, I hope, these cases and these postponements, Nick, stay few and far between. I hope these players continue to, to do the right things. I know some of them are getting vaccinated. I know Jake McGee, the closer for the San Francisco Giants, he just missed, uh, he just got put on the temporary IL because he felt lingering effects from the vaccine. So there could be that aspect of it. But uh, as far as COVID outbreaks, you want to just keep them to a minimum. But it is something that Major League Baseball and all the organizations are, are going to potentially deal with all season long. Yeah, I commend Major League Baseball for being aggressive and taking their their active approach when it comes to, you know, COVID-19, possible tracing, possible uh, contamination. Uh, they don't they don't hold any punches. They go ahead. Hey, we're going to cancel the entire game. We're going to cancel the game the next day. If we have to, right. we're more concerned about the health and safety. At least it, that's what it appears to be. So I commend them for for being taking a proactive approach uh, when it comes to this pandemic. Lastly, man. What's up with the Boston Red Sox ugly ass uniforms, man? I mean, I don't understand the yellow and the blue. What with this this is it looks like somebody threw up off a tie-dye acid trip. I I honestly <laughs> thought they tried to take a page out of the UCLA Bruins playbook for for whatever reason. I it makes no sense to me. And you know what's funny? Their alternates are pretty cool. I mean, they got the gray, they got the whites, but in recent years they they've adopted the red uniforms, they've adopted the dark blue uniforms. So it's mm -hmm. like this is just an excuse to sell more jerseys. I'm not a big fan of all these crazy alternates. You want to have one or two, that's fine. But I know like the Rockies and the Diamondbacks, they've tried to do the same the same thing in recent years. And yet you never see that from the Yankees or the Dodgers, even though I think the Yankees should go to their alternate, like, you know, dark blue or black. I think that would be, that would be awesome right there. And for the Dodgers, man, you know, you, you covered spring training, Nick. I love those blue Dodger alternates. I would love to see the Dodgers do something like that, but in the process, I, I would like to also see the Red Sox get rid of those 
platforms. Go back to what you were doing before. If it ain't broke, don't fix it and you'll be fine. But hey, you know, you're trying to generate revenue, right? Where where you don't have full house capacities, you're not selling as much merch and, and hey, man. sessions. You got to do whatever you can to make a quick buck, right? Yeah, I guess so. But sometimes a quick buck ain't always the best buck. But thank you so much, man, for coming on board and talking a little baseball here on TMA with Nick Hamilton. Appreciate it, man. Let, let everyone know where they can keep up with you and follow you on social media. Always appreciate the time. And I loved how you called me extraordinaire. Made me, you know, maybe want to puff out my chest a little bit, man. I, I love that. Thank, thanks for that. Uh, you can always follow me on uh, on Twitter at Chris underscore Camelo. See Camelo One on Instagram. Download and subscribe to the Camelo's Corner podcast available on all major streaming platforms, as well as I also host a all Lakers podcast at Showtime Form. Uh, so all, also available on all major streaming platforms. Nick, thanks for the time, man. Keep doing what you're doing. We'll talk soon. Hey, thanks a lot, man. We'll definitely talk soon. And that will be it for our show this week. Thank you so much for everybody tuning in. If you missed any portion of the broadcast, make sure you download and subscribe to us on all streaming platforms at TMA with Nick Hamilton. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at Nick Hamilton LA, as well as Twitter at Nick Hamilton 213. I'd like to thank uh, the station and the producers at Slam Radio XM, as well as Sirius XM for all of their support and help. And thank you, most importantly, for listening to this week's episode. Until next time, please stay sharp, take care, be safe. We are out. The views and opinions expressed on TMA with Nick Hamilton, Extra Dose, are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.